American politics. Left versus right causes deep canyons, even among God's people. Who is right? Who is wrong? This is one of the enemy's biggest weapons against the church. None of us are immune. anyone would recommend preaching on politics your first weekend as lead pastor. But here we are and it's 2020, so we're gonna tackle it straight on. Thank you for being with us today. Today's title is Jesus Over Politics. And here's the thing, we live in an us versus them world. You are either us or them to somebody nearly in every aspect of our lives. And here's a simple example. We live in the city of Pittsburgh. You and I are Pittsburgh Steeler fans. We're not Baltimore Ravens fans. That's them. The us is the Pittsburgh Steelers. You can't be a Steelers fan and a Ravens fan. You don't wear black and gold and purple and black. We're black and gold people. It is us and it is them. Now, you may not like sports, but here's another example. Chevy and Ford. You don't drive a Chevy and a Ford. You drive one or the other. It's us and them. You can even take that to American-made or foreign-made vehicles. Now, those are pretty simple examples. But this us versus them mentality, it also penetrates into ways much deeper in society, such as politics. You are either us or them to somebody, Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative. You either watch Fox News or CNN. And while this shouldn't be the case, you seem to either be for the police or against the police. There is no room in the middle in our society. You either are for immigration or against immigration. Even when it comes to wearing masks, we politicize it. And you either do or you don't. And what you choose says everything about your politics. Even watching an NFL game, it's not about just enjoying sports and watching a game. If you do or you don't, we make it a political statement. And this us versus them in culture there's no middle ground. Miles McPherson, he talks about it in his book, The Third Option, in this way. This for us or against us mentality. Here's what happens when we do that. We say, you know what? I am more comfortable 
with people like me. I'm more inclined to spend time socially with those who are like me. I am more patient with those who are like me. I give the benefit of the doubt quicker to those who are like me. I express more grace when mistakes are made to people who are more like me. It's easier for me to communicate. In fact, I even will choose to communicate with those who are like me. I assume that I'm gonna get along better with those who are like me. I'm willing, more willing to go out of my way to those who are like me. And I possess more positive assumptions. I assume the best of those who are like me. Now, sadly, we allow this us versus them mentality even into the church of Jesus Christ. There are Christians who are more comfortable with those who believe like them and in the opposite are not comfortable. There are Christians who are inclined to spend more time with people of the same thought process than those who think differently. There are Christians who are far less patient with those who don't believe as they do politically. There are Christians who give benefit of the doubt or assume the worst of those who don't believe as they do. And what is even worse in the church is that we ask the question, whose side is Jesus on? Let me be perfectly clear. All of this, this us versus them mentality, this you are either for us or against us is the work of the enemy, Satan. The enemy seeks to divide us. He is the perpetrator in this us versus them thinking. He alone is the enemy. It's not the person on the other side who thinks differently. Not the person who is the very bearer in the image of God. The other person who is created in God's image just like you, just like me, regardless of where they land politically. And Jesus is on both sides. Now, it's interesting because we talked a lot about Joshua last week, and I'm going to revisit it this week. So as we go forward a couple chapters in Joshua, you may remember that Joshua led the Israelites across the Jordan. And as they approached Jericho, Joshua came face to face with a man with a sword. Joshua chapter five, verse 13 says this. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua goes up to him and he asks this question. Listen to this. Are you for us or are you for our enemies? And this man with a drawn sword says, neither. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua falls face down to the ground in reverence and he asks him, what message does my Lord have for this servant? Joshua comes face to face with the commander of the Lord's army. And the very first question he asks is, are you with us or against us? And the commander of the Lord's army says neither. When it comes to politics, the Bible does not give us any reason to believe Jesus would side completely with one political party or the other. Rather, when it comes to kings and kingdoms, 
Jesus always sides with himself. So the question for us is not whether or not Jesus is on our side, whichever that may be, but rather are we on Jesus' side. Let's pray. Father, today we need your spirit more than ever before. The enemy comes and seeks to divide us, to put us into us and them. But in you, in your kingdom, you have called us to be citizens of heaven and have called us to be one. You prayed that our unity would be an example and witness to the world of your love for them. Let your word penetrate our hearts. May you unite us today more than ever before in the precious name of Jesus, amen. It may surprise you to know we only have to look at the 12 disciples to find how Jesus would have handled political diversity amongst believers. Here among Jesus's closest friends, the ones whom Jesus invested most of his time are two guys on the polar opposite political spectrum. One man had betrayed his family, his heritage, his culture, to work for a corrupt, oppressive government his people absolutely despised. His old friends would now associate him with thieves and murderers. They would even refuse to worship with him. The other was part of an anti-government movement, a militant group who aspired to wage war against all things government and for them to return to the glory for when their culture and when their religion ruled. Now these two men had very little in common. They should have been enemies, yet they decided to lay aside their political differences and to be united because they had encountered the one who was greater than any political difference. Let's look at who we're talking about. Matthew chapter 10, verse one through four. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal, heal every kind of disease and illness. Here are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also called Peter, then Andrew, Peter's brother, James, son of Zebedee, John, James' brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Jesus calls Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot, two men who represented extreme political opposites of society at the time. Simon the Zealot was a tax hater. Matthew was a tax collector. Simon was an enemy of Rome. Matthew was a servant of Rome. Simon was a patriot. Matthew was seen as a traitor to Israel. To everyone in first century Israel at that time, these two men, both called by Jesus, would have been fierce enemies. Now, a little historical facts about the zealots. These zealots were members of a Jewish sect that began around 6 BC. 
They were fiercely loyal to all Jewish traditions. They even opposed the use of Greek language and looked for a Messiah who would restore the ancient kingdom of Israel. They dreamed of a return to the glory and theocracy under King David and Solomon from years gone by. These zealots, they opposed payment of taxes to a pagan emperor saying that their allegiance was due only to God. They were revolutionaries who wanted to drive out the Romans by force. And from their headquarters in Galilee, they took advantage of every opportunity to inflame citizens against the government of their day. These zealots were the protesters. And among this group of rebels was a man named Simon, a man who loved his country and was prepared to die for it. A man who Jesus calls to be one of the 12. Now on the other side, you had tax collectors. Now they were in very stark contrast to the zealots. They were responsible for the security and the collection of revenue for Rome. The Roman government hired local officials, local people to collect taxes. They weren't paid a salary, but rather they were given the freedom, the opportunity, and the authority of Rome to collect far beyond what was required. It's how they made their living. And for this reason, tax collectors were despised by their fellow Jewish citizens, and they were seen as traitors. But it's among this group of financially overbearing sellouts to the government, a man named Matthew was among them. A man who served Rome and benefited financially because of it. A man whom Jesus calls to be one of the 12. Now to anyone in their day, these two men would have been fierce enemies. Their perspectives and ideologies could not have been any more different but it's here, it's here in the midst of this opposition. Jesus calls them both to be one and to find their identity in something far greater than politics. Now, while much has changed over the last 20 centuries since the time of Jesus, much has not. Today, there are still opposing political perspectives and ideologies amongst those who follow Jesus. And still, Jesus comes and he's calling us to find our identity in something far greater than politics. Today, Matthew and Simon teach us, they teach those of us with different political differences and perspectives that we can and that we should follow Christ in unity. They also teach us the very heart of Jesus towards those of diverse political opinions. Let's look at three today. The first one, Jesus was drawn to people of diverse political opinions. Most, if not all of us, are drawn to people who are just like us. People who look like us, dress like us, talk like us, act like us, and think like us. 
Jesus, however, sought deep personal relationship with all kinds of people, political descendants, prostitutes, religious teachers, and social outcasts. He modeled for us by him choosing Simon and Matthew that we should be drawn and not repulsed by people who live at the margins or at extremes in society, especially those with political differences. Whether it is the guy driving the Mercedes or the guy living under the bridge, whether or not it is a neighbor who votes like we do or a neighbor whose ballot is the opposite, whether it is the person who posts on Facebook, on Twitter, the same and affirming political values or the person that posts the opposite, we are called to follow in the example of Jesus. He didn't keep in the company of people who were just like him or who thought like him. Scott Sauls is a pastor and writer at a church in Nashville, Tennessee. And I love this quote that he says, where he writes, we should feel at home with people who share our faith, but not our politics, even more than we do with people who share our politics, but not our faith. If this is not our experience, then we very well may be rendering to Caesar what belongs to God. My question for us today is, will we allow ourselves to be drawn to people of diverse political opinions? Here's the second. Jesus not only was drawn to people with diverse political opinions, Jesus welcomed people of diverse political opinions. Jesus said, come unto me, all of you who are weary, all who carry heavy burdens, and I will give you all rest. The presence of Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector as two of the 12 disciples communicates clear and powerfully the message to people from extremes of any social and political spectrum. Think about what it would have meant to those who knew and saw Jesus' closest friends. They would have responded, I guess he really does mean all. If he can call Simon, if he can call Matthew, if he can call a tax collector, if he can call a zealot, then maybe he can even call me. If Simon and Matthew can find commonality and walk together as disciples of Jesus, Maybe we can too. The presence of diverse extremes is a witness to the world that there is salvation for everyone, both Republican and Democrat, Libertarian and everywhere in between. Jesus today still says, come, come to me all. Come to me, Republicans. Come to me, Democrats. Come to me, liberals. Come to me, conservatives. Come one and come all. Will you allow yourself to welcome those of diverse political opinions? Jesus also unified people of diverse political opinions. Knowing full well that Simon the Zealot was an opponent of Rome and that Matthew the tax collector was a servant of Rome, Jesus still called them both to be disciples. Now, although scripture does not say specifically, it wouldn't surprise me one day when we're in heaven that if we find out that when Jesus sent out his disciples two by two, 
he sent Simon and Matthew together. For the better part of three years, Simon and Matthew spent every day together. Together they learned at Jesus' feet. Together they huddled in a crowded fishing boat as Jesus calmed the stormy seas. Together they watched Jesus heal lepers, give sight to the blind, cast out demons and raise the dead. Together they heard Jesus teach with power and authority. Together they saw him arrested. They saw him tried. Together they saw saw him beaten and nailed to a cross and together they witnessed him after the resurrection from the grave. You know they had to have moments, moments where they argued and debated. I know it's, it's probably hard to imagine two people on two different politically polar opposites arguing with each other, interrupting each other, calling each other names. I know it's hard to imagine, but it had to happen with Simon and Matthew. You know, they just didn't drop their political ideologies and their perspectives and lose their opinions. They had starkly different pasts and perspectives and experiences, yet they learned in the midst of that to be brothers and to minister the gospel, the good news of Jesus together. Not because they agreed on every political matter, but because Jesus was the one who united them because he was greater than the politics that divided them. Oh, how we need this today. May the Jesus who unites us be greater than the politics that divide us? Will you allow yourself to be unified with those of diverse political opinions? Now, while Jesus gives us a perfect example of how those with political differences can come together and serve his kingdom, too often we have reflected the very political divisions of culture rather than the unity that we have in Christ. And let me remind you today that as people of faith, as Paul writes in Philippians, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our savior. Our citizenship is in heaven. As Christ followers, our allegiance is first and foremost to the kingdom of God, not to any kingdom of this world. And that includes any political party. We are citizens of heaven and are called to maintain a heavenly perspective, not an earthly one. Here at ACAC, we're blessed to have a congregation made up of Democrats, of Republicans, and everywhere in between. Yes, we are blessed by this. For many years, and especially in election years, this church has tried to model and live by three simple rules concerning politics. I wanna remind us of those today. They are one, don't idolize politics. Our faith and our hope must be in God alone. Something will become an idol when we seek identity, security, power, and hope in anything other than God alone. American politics can, and it has quickly become an idol in too many Christians' lives. And remember that God repeatedly warned Israel about mixing hope in God and hope in human 
institutions. If we find our identity, security, power, and hope in any political party, then we have idolized politics. Two, don't politicize your faith. Jesus does not align himself with a political party. Your faithfulness to God is not determined by faithfulness to a political party. Remember our citizenship is in heaven and our political ideologies must be filtered through the lens of scripture, not the other way around. When we say things like, if you're a Christian, you must vote for blank. We have politicized our faith and we have undermined the very nature of God. God is not Republican. God is not Democrat. God is not Libertarian, nor any other party of this world. Three, don't demonize the other side. Just because someone disagrees with your political opinion does not mean they're your enemy. And even if they were, I'm reminded of scripture where Jesus says and calls us to love our enemies. The apostle James says that it's not right that we come and sing praises to God with the same mouth that we curse other image bearers with. Yet here we are singing praises on Sunday and posting hate towards our political opposites Monday through Friday. It's unbecoming of someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus and yet we misrepresent the kingdom of God in his very heart. I love this verse in Ephesians 2, verse 14 through 16. Paul writes to the church, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people in his own body on the cross. Listen to this. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself, Jesus, one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on a cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. Through Jesus, our hostility towards one another was put to death. God has broken down the walls of hostility that divide us. We are one in him and are citizens of one kingdom. Jesus has reconciled us through his death on a cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. And this does not mean that we all will always agree. This is not a message today of political uniformity. We must allow God's word to shape our political viewpoints and never compromise biblical principles. We need men and women of faith to engage and to work in our civil government and to lead with strength and courage. We must pray for all civil authority, especially for those whom we disagree. However, we must never allow our political differences to divide us. My heart and hope and my prayer for us today 
is that the Jesus who unites us would be greater than the politics that divide us. I don't know if there is a better weekend in which we could have communion together. A time when we can take the cup and take the bread and remind ourselves that we are one despite our political opinions and despite our perspectives and differences. As we go to the Lord's table today, the passage that we often read with communion and I'm gonna share with you in just a few moments as we partake of the bread and the cup is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But just before that, Paul writes some remarkable words as he's teaching this church in Corinth about communion. And he writes in chapter 10, verse 16, when we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. And though we are many, Republicans, Democrats, though we are many conservatives, liberals, though we are many political opinions and perspectives, we all eat from one bread, showing that we're one body. So where you're at today, I'm gonna ask that you take this bread in your hand and would you break it with me? I'm gonna ask you to do something pretty unique as we take the bread today. As you take this bread, I want you to remind yourself that we are one. And if you could even imagine doing this, maybe imagine the person that thinks differently than you. I'm sure there's a Christ follower right now that you know thinks politically different than you do and it drives you crazy. So you take this bread, I want you to think of that person and go, I am one with him. I am one with her because Christ broke down the walls of hostility and he made us one. Would you partake today? He said on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, a new covenant, an agreement confirmed with my blood do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink of it. And now today, as we take the club, cub, the cup together, it reminds us that there's a new covenant, that we're no longer citizens of this earth, that our allegiance and our citizenship, our affiliation goes far beyond any political party, goes far beyond any kingdom here on this earth. For it's in heaven today because Jesus paid the ultimate price that we would be his. Would you join me 
partaking of the cup. I am sure like me, you scratch your head in amazement when you just look from an earthly perspective at where we are as a country. But above all of that today, if you remember anything, that remember no matter which candidate wins, Jesus will still be Lord and our hope is in him. No matter which candidate wins, he will not be able to overcome the spiritual strongholds that undergird our nation's problems. Only Jesus can do that. No matter which candidate wins, we are called to live a spirit-filled life that is evidence that is evident by words and actions that are filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And only the Spirit can do that. Let's close in prayer together. Father in heaven, we need you more than ever before. We need you as a country, but we also need you as your people in the church. The enemy has come and it seeks to divide us, to put us into groups of us in them. And I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would convict us that we would not idolize politics. That we would not politicize our faith and that God help us if we demonize the other side. So may your spirit fill us and lead us today. And may we be unified in the mighty and the precious name of Jesus. Amen.